Jacob Albrocht, Tommy Kester. This is Sports Daily on Wichita's number one sports radio, 97.5 and 1240 KFH. All right, welcome in, everybody. Sports Daily on KFH. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Caster with you on this Friday edition. Dad Gummit, Tommy, we had him. We had him. The Shockers fall to Houston. They led a lot of the way through. Ah, oh, man. You know, the, the game went further and further along, and they were playing well, and you thought, oh, this is going to be it. They're going to get this done, and they just couldn't do it. We'll talk a lot about that game. Uh, what it means, you feel good about it, Shocker fans, or is it another... You know, frustrating, blown lead. I'm curious to hear what people think about that game. Um, I might have a different take on it than the general consensus. We'll get into that. 869-1240 is the number to call. Uh, We've got lots of other interesting things happening. The Big 12 looks like it's going to be the ballooned model for at least a little while. Uh, Tommy will explain why that is in just a little bit. Joe Mixon in more trouble. Um, We will begin to look ahead at the Super Bowl and look ahead at a busy college basketball weekend for both KUK State and Wichita State as well. Chad Chambers producing for us. We'll have a giveaway a little bit later in the show. Glad to be with everybody here. Again, I'm Jacob Albrock, Tommy Castor on the other side. Tommy, again, dadgummit, I thought the Shockers were going to get it done last night. Yeah, I'm a little surprised that uh, you've got a voice this morning. I know you were there inside the roundhouse. It it sure looked like on TV that – uh, even though it wasn't a full sellout, that it was loud and was the atmosphere it was, a was good great. Crowd. So yep, it was. Um, that's good. I'm I'm glad that that happened for sure. But um, you know, I know we're going to get into all of it. But uh, you got to feel like that one slipped away right through the fingertips. Um, and and you know what? It, it's it was a hell of an effort. Uh, but I know we're going to dive all into it. Yeah, you know, and I was happy just at the surface. I was I was really happy for the players that they got to play in that atmosphere too. Um, that was cool for them, and I'm glad that they got that. So Wichita State Falls, 70-61. to 61. Obviously, it was a much, much closer game than that. Uh, they, they were trying to hang on late and fouled a couple times, gave Houston some late free throws. Almost blew that cover, by the way. Uh, it was funny. I was in the stands, and uh, as, as the game was clearly not going to happen, it's, it's pretty funny, Tommy, how many people from different you know, areas around me I heard, oh, my God, don't blow the cover. Like that, you know, there's a lot of people paying attention to those things. Uh, and it, it got close, but the, but the Shockers covered. We were right about that. Um, you know, it's, it was a game that as Wichita State was leading the way, they weren't leading at halftime, but they led much of the first half, some of the second half. I, I just kept thinking, are they going to be able to hang on? Because you know Houston's coming. And Houston is, Houston is the first time that I've seen Wichita State play this year where I felt like physically they were outmatched, right? Houston looked like they had a football team out there. Those dudes are big. They're fast. Sasser and Shed are incredible guards. Like, that's a team that really does, Tommy, have a chance to win a national championship. It has everything those national championship-type teams have. And Wichita State was right there with them. You know, I was talking to some coworkers after the game, and— 
you, we were talking about the things that went wrong and everything else. And somebody brought up three of 20 from three. And I got to tell you, like, it did not feel to me like they took 23s in that game because it felt like there were like two stretches where they were trying to shoot threes and they backed off early when they were making some and then early in the second half and they weren't. And they it, it felt like they backed off appropriately at that point. I mean, I don't think you can ever go into a game and not ever shoot threes, right? Not not in today's college basketball, but it did feel like they stopped, they slowed it down, and they worked the offense as well as they have in a lot of games this year. I, do, I actually come out of that game and think to myself, if Wichita State plays that way the rest of the way, they're going to win most of the games they play in. They were, they were intense and locked in defensively all the way through. Offensive rebounds gave them trouble. I'm telling you, offensive rebounds were going to give them trouble because Houston is big. But Wichita State out-rebounded them on the offensive boards. So, you know, it wasn't like there were some critical ones late, but it wasn't a, you know, problem, I don't think, like it has been in some games. I thought Wichita State handled itself well there. Um I actually feel good coming out of that game. Jaquan Walton is continuing to play better. They're finding some offensive rhythm, obviously. And just like the energy and the intensity and everything was up from whistle to whistle in that game, which, you know, that's been the issue sometimes. It wasn't the issue yesterday. It still wasn't enough to beat Houston. Houston's awesome. And and I'm actually okay with that. But I think if they can continue that, they're going to play really well down the stretch. I don't know what that's worth, right? Like, I don't know if that's worth much, but it is what it is. Well, regardless of what happens for the rest of this season, priority number one has got to be keeping Jaquan Walton as a shocker. I mean, he was 100% terrific. 24 points on 8 of 13 shooting. You mentioned the 3 of 20 clip from 3. Well, Walton was 3 of 6. So the rest of the team was 0 and 14 shooting the 3 ball. Jaquan Walton was terrific. His energy level, the way that he was able to draw contact at the rim. Um, there were a couple of back-to-back three-point plays that he had in the second half that, that were phenomenal, um, and somehow the shot dropped both times. Um, he was great, and you know I, you have to kind of look at it, and I guess you can go a glass-half full, glass-half empty approach to this because the Shockers absolutely hung with Houston for the majority of the game. Um, I think the glass half empty mentality would be that without Jaquan Walton, the game's a bloodbath. Um, I mean, Craig Porter Jr. did not play well. Seven points on two of 14 shooting. O of six from he didn't, beyond the He arc. didn't play well offensively. I thought he did play well right, offensively. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but at, at the end of the day, like they had to have Walton. And there was a, a period of time in the second half where he got his third foul. Uh, he sat down for a couple of minutes, and I thought they got to get him back in the game now. And like they've got to ride him the entire rest of the way, um, regardless of the fouls, because he was really the only guy that was able to be efficient uh, and effective offensively. I thought James Rojas in the second half had good energy, um, oh, man, almost to good. a little, almost to a little bit of a reckless point at one point in the second half. But overall, I thought that he had quite a bit of energy, and I just, I really think that. The, the biggest turning point late in the game when Houston retook the lead was that Wichita State started settling for shots that they weren't settling for earlier in the game. Uh, they weren't getting to the rim like they got earlier in the game, and they weren't getting the rebounds like they got earlier in the game. That that was the big 
turning point in my mind with about, what, four or five minutes left to go in the game when Houston really put their foot on the gas, tied the game up, and then they were able to pull away. Um, but beyond that, like if you took – if the game was – what, 35 minutes long instead of 40 minutes long? The right. Shockers were the better team for 35 of the 40 minutes. Yep. They just couldn't close it out. So a couple of things that I thought were turning points. They had a big, they had the chance to have a big free throw advantage and didn't get that, you know, advantage like they probably should have. Had a couple of then ticky-tack fouls called that also put Houston in the bonus. And that hurt them. And th not, none of those were bad calls or anything. I'm not ref guy. That charge on Rojas was a horrible call, and that really did flip the momentum of that game. Rojas was feeling it at that point. He is lightning fast offensively. Um, it, it, you know, I know he's had a lot of physical ailments over his career, and you can sort of see him laboring through physically. But my goodness, offensively, he's got ball skills for a big that are really impressive. But when they called that charge on him, and it was a bad call. Um, that that really that it, in the in the building anyway the momentum or, or the energy or whatever you want to call it flipped on its head and and that's really I think when Houston sort of twisted that knife a little bit and the Shockers weren't able to recover from that because they were grooving at that point and it just you know those those are the hard things and the difference between a team like Houston with all the experience they have and all the expectations they have is that kind of stuff is not going to shake them. I think it shook the Shockers just a little bit, just like it did everybody in the building, because it was you, you were just so upset like that that call was made and it and it took a, a, a critical point in the game and, and flipped it around and all those things, and, and I'm just not sure that was ever recovered from either. But again, I, I was very pleased with the effort, the energy. Um, the players were responsive to it. They seemed in tune with the coaching staff. Like all of that stuff that we worry about sometimes with the team wasn't there last night for me. And and I think it's getting there less and less. Like I do think this team is gelling quite a bit more. I don't know how many wins they're going to be able to string together here. My guess is they'll – I would guess that they'll respond well to yesterday. If, if they – you know, if they can look at that just with an honest opinion – they have to come out of that game thinking, all right, that was a that was us playing a really good game. If we play that game the rest of the way, we can win a vast majority of those games we play. That version of the Shockers will beat Tulsa, UCF, SMU. I think it'll beat Tulane in South Florida. Can it beat Memphis, Temple, or Houston? Maybe. Um, you know, you got to go to Temple, but you get Memphis back in Wichita. And Wichita State has not played Memphis well, but... That version of the Shockers could give Memphis a little trouble, right? At Houston, probably not. So, I mean, can they? Can we look at this last stretch and say, what would that be? Six, seven, eight, and three down the stretch would be, you know, a benchmark to try to achieve. Now, I, I honestly, I think that's reasonable. I, I don't think that's out of the question if they play the brand of basketball they played last night. And don't you think too that every game from here on out in the regular season? is more important long-term for the program than it is that one sure. specific game. Like, it's more about, you know, keeping that effort, <clears throat> keeping that energy level, keeping the uh, the nucleus of the team together, gelling more, all of that, with each conference game that is played. Because, I mean, let's face it, you say eight and three, but, uh, I mean, I, I don't know if that's realistic. I think that could be 
the ceiling, but I don't necessarily think that's realistic. So barring a uh, a conference tournament championship, we're not talking about you know a postseason run for Wichita oh, State. Eight really, and three is not right? going to get them on a postseason run. I mean, their postseason run outside of a conference tournament championship, they could win every game they play the rest of the way. If they don't win the conference tournament, they're not making it in. So my point is that with every conference game that you play, you are, in theory, setting the building blocks in place for next season and beyond. Uh, and, and so, I, of course, all the conversation this year has been all the new faces and getting them to gel together and what's the right rotation and who's going to get the minutes, how are they going to play, all of that stuff. And I think that last night, even though, even though they lost, and then I think you even go back to the East Carolina game when they probably played the most complete conference game they had played all season against East Carolina. That's two in a row where you feel like they've got, uh, they, they've, they've, they're starting to get it figured out. And so it, it makes me think that if they can carry this on and continue this throughout the rest of conference play, then you're setting a really solid, you would hope, foundation for next season. Well, right. No matter who the coach is, no matter what else happens, you can begin to look at this, and I think you were right on it, identify what the future also looks like, whether it's Isaac Brown and this staff or somebody else. That that part of what we're talking about right now is irrelevant, right? Like, you've got to do everything you can, for me, if I'm looking at this right now, uh, to make sure Jaquan Walton, Kenny Poto, probably Jer and Pierre all come back, right? Uh, those are the guys, you know, James Rojas is a senior. Craig Porter is a senior. Um, you know, but but if you look at Gus, Gus Okafor is a senior, who I, I think there's still something there for Gus Okafor. I'm not sure if he'll recapture that early season, um, you know, early season magic. But, you know, those pieces, I thought Xavier Bell had moments last night that maybe that was one of his better games. He, he didn't look overwhelmed. He was aggressive. That was good to see. So, you know, there's some of that there, too. I agree with you. Are those guys, regardless of what happens, going to be able to come back and be pieces? I don't know. I mean, Walton has now, let me pull up his, uh, let me pull up his game log here. Just in the last little stretch here, I mean, he has really, really turned it on. So you go to the Houston game. And he's been double digits in each of the last six games that he's played on. So it's really since the Tulsa game. But Tommy, his points in those games, right? 19, 15, 18, 24, 13, and 24. Um, he makes his free throws. He gets to the line. He's by far been the most effective three-point shooter. He's, you know, rebounding at a good clip. Like, he is bringing it. Real deal kind of stuff. Just like... You know, Ricky Council became that last year for Wichita State and identified of like, okay, what does the future look like regardless of what happens? I think you can absolutely see that with Jaquan Walton and obviously guys like Kenny Poto, right? Like you've got to you've got to do whatever. And that's where the work comes in, I think, even more for the administration and whatever opportunities are being created for guys. Like that work has to be done now to ensure that when the opportunity to transfer comes, that they don't want to take that opportunity, that they want to be playing at Wichita State. Yeah, I think you take it a step further with with Walton, too, a little bit, because you mentioned the last five games and the double digits that he scored. On top of that, he's very efficient, too. I mean, he, his percentage field goal 
shooting wise the last five games 80 percent 55 percent 60 percent 80 percent 62 percent and so he is making baskets at a high clip he was eight of 13 last night uh and so in a in a scenario with a team that historically going back to the non-conference we have said who can be the x factor who do we know when when the shockers need to get a bucket that guy can go and get a bucket and i think yeah obviously we only knew primarily of craig porter at the beginning of the season and really recently it's been jaquan walton i mean he's been the guy that you want the ball in his hands uh in crunch time and we win the shockers need to get a bucket if they need to you know if the, if the other team goes on a run and you need somebody to stop that run um at least recently in the last five plus games it's been jaquan walton yeah, it has, and and he's he's impressive. You know, getting to he's as creative an offensive player, you know, overall skill set as we've seen, and and that's and that's really cool, right? Because we saw we saw flashes of that early in the season too. By I mean, by no means is this something we haven't seen all year. It's just more consistent now than it has been. Um, so that's good too. I I don't know eight six nine twelve forty. If if you've got a different take on last night, I want to hear it because I do understand. Um, that there, there could definitely be more negative takes. I just don't have the negative take this morning, even after the loss. I feel pretty good. Well, now I mean, look, you my, you've my biggest take that though and move it forward. Right. It's the momentum, and my biggest takeaway is that we have warned for a long time about this program potentially falling into apathy with the fan base, and I wasn't there. You were, uh, but I watched it. And it sure didn't seem like the fan base was apathetic last night, even in the loss. So that's a good sign. I want to give credit where credit is due. Um, I think it's okay today if you if you view it in the bubble of just this game from last night. I think it's okay to view it from a glass half full perspective. It is. It, look, you don't have to be negative, Nancy. And Shocker fans are interesting. I, I love Shocker fans, number one. I think Wichita State is so cool because it feels like a pro team for the city of Wichita, right? KU and K-State fans, generally speaking, can root for Wichita State, and it means nothing to the schools they went to. They can go to their games. Their games are fun. They're awesome when that place is rocking. But Shocker fans sometimes can be a little negative, too. And and a little, you know, and, and 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 I get it, right? Like identity, toughness, all of that's a part of it. But I always want to be realistic here on this show with how we look at things and evaluate things. And I'm an optimist. I get it. I'm probably too much of one most of the time. But I just I, I I like to try to live my life that way. But for Wichita State, like what I always want to know long term, right? Like what can we pull from this? Because let's not pretend before Isaac Brown took over, that everything was rosy either, right? We had mass transfers happening every year. They weren't making the tournament. That that stuff was happening before Isaac Brown got here. So the momentum didn't just all of a sudden start in, in recent memory. It, we have to be fair to that, right? Like it has to be. After Ron and Fred and that era left, you had the, you know, that you had another team with Frank Camp and Reeves and those guys and, and, and Shamit that were really good, but the chemistry was a little shaky perhaps. And then after that, right, it's been these years of mass transfers and not making the tournament and all this stuff. That's what we've seen. So it's um, 
it, it's something we have to look at realistically. And the reality is I do see a path that puts Wichita State as much in the mix as they ever have been. It's just getting back to that. And yes, that crowd last night was into it. It wasn't ten thousand, but it was probably seven thousand, seven thousand five hundred. I don't, I don't know, I don't know what the official attendance was, but it was mostly full, and it was loud, and the energy was there, and that's when you get the best of Shocker fans, right? Locked in, know what we're doing, kind of like no frills, all basketball. Like it, it was, it was a really good crowd. And I'm glad that's the game that I picked to go to this year because it'd be a little sad if I was there for one of the others. But again, I'm glad for those players because that's important to keep guys like Jaquan Walton around too. You got to see what Coke Arena is when when things are going and the energy's there. Like that's important for those guys to feel too a little bit. So 869-1240, we can jump back to the Shockers. We are wide open on this Friday, so plenty of time for calls, Shocker fans. If you want to give us your takes, go for it. When we come back, we can talk a little bit more about that. We're also Tommy's going to tell us why uh, the Big 12 might be as fun as it ever will be for the next two years. We'll hit that next on Sports Daily. Welcome back, everybody. Sports Daily here. Jacob Albrocht alongside Tommy Caster, Jad Chambers producing for us. Tommy... Uh, the Big 12 looks like it will be what we will see next year, which is just this super conference uh, that still includes Texas and Oklahoma and maybe for a little longer than than we thought it would be. Yeah, so Pete Thamel from ESPN uh, reported earlier today that OU and Texas, they've been negotiating with the Big 12 to leave the conference a year early and join the SEC in 2024. Apparently, those talks have stalled, uh, and it looks like a deal is unlikely for OU and Texas to leave the Big 12 a year early, which would mean that we would have that major super conference with teams like Houston and Cincinnati and BYU uh, and OU and Texas for, for two years before Oklahoma and Texas will actually leave for the SEC. So two more years of it. Honestly, for me, I'll take it for as many years as we can get it. And, and that may be another thing that people disagree with me on. I think there are definitely people that would say, don't let the door hit you on the way out and get, get out of here and all that. Look, I'm going to take Texas and Oklahoma for as long as I can get them, as, as bitter as, as people may be to that. Them being in this Super League is going to be fun. Um, and it will be epic in basketball, but it'll be fun in football too. And and I know we'll, there'll be some scheduling quirks, and that'll be slightly annoying. But, I mean, it's going to be good because what will happen is you'll still get a lot of eyes generally on games that those two schools play in that maybe you wouldn't otherwise. And I'll take those eyes for the rest of this new league for as long as I can keep them to get everybody else on board with how awesome this league's going to be. That way people are watching this league as much as they can. And when those two teams leave, people have already been watching this new Big 12 for a couple of years, right? And, you know, in football, it will be good. In basketball, I, I don't know. And I and around here, there probably aren't a ton of people that would disagree with me. But just generally speaking, watching Big 12 basketball on a night-in, night-out basis is as good as watching pro basketball. 
It's so competitive. The games are fast. Like, it's just, it's easier to watch a college basketball game than it is an NBA game because the time commitment, right, if nothing else. But, like, I, I, I think there's a real opportunity, and I know the money's never going to be as big as football, but I think Brett Yormark can grow the financial capabilities of Big 12 as a basketball league and keeping those two teams in while you're doing this. I mean, Tommy, if you had Houston in this league right now and Memphis at the least, well, not Memphis isn't coming, but Houston at the at the least in Cincinnati, you know, UCF and, and the others, but just Houston. Just imagine adding Houston to the Big 12 mix right now. You'd have, would that make six top 15 teams? Seven. Seven top 15 teams because there are six currently in the top 15 in the Big 12 and then you're adding Houston. I don't disagree with you uh, about what this can do for like a super conference for a couple of years and the added visibility. I'm just surprised that this is where we're at right now because I would have thought that Texas and OU would have dropped whatever money necessary to get out of the Big 12 as absolutely quickly as they possibly could. Um, and, and that's really where the hangup is. It's that the network, Fox, will be losing or would have been losing a significant amount of money if Texas and OU left early because they have the rights currently to the Big 12 along with ESPN. Uh, but there would have been, I think I think it was six or seven football games in 2024 that they had the rights to feature, I think, Texas or OU. And there's, of course, a premium on advertising dollars when those games feature those two schools. And so that's been the big hangup is Fox saying, hey, uh, how are you going to compensate us if you leave the league uh, by, you know, we're not going to have you to, to air. We can't air your games if you leave a year early under the current media rights deal. Uh, and that's been the big hangup. And so it, it's surprising to me that Texas and OU um, are not able or not willing to pony up the amount of money necessary to get out of there a year early. I don't think this is necessarily good for Texas and OU. I think that, yeah, of course, people are going to continue to watch their games uh, and their, their brands aren't really going to suffer by hanging on for another year. But if I'm them, uh, I mean, how long ago was it that they made the announcement they were leaving for the SEC? It was like in 2021, right? And we're now in early 2023. Uh, and so they've got to hang on and the anticipation continues for another couple of years before they finally get to the destination that they want to be in. And that's the SEC. Uh, if I were them, I would want to write basically a blank check, like get us out of here. Let us go to the SEC now. We'll pay whatever it takes to get out of it. But the fact that they're not able to do so, um, I, I love it for the fan perspective and I love it for the Big 12. I just don't think it makes a lot of sense for the two schools. Well, you don't know. I mean, look, we're all we're all facing a challenging economic outlook right now. Uh, in in life, and I think there's a lot of uncertainty and the possibility for a little bit of a tough stretch here. And that could factor into it too, right? Like, you know, the decision makers have to look at that and say, are, is now the time to pay what we would have to pay to do that? And, you know, you got to balance the numbers out. How long will it take for us in the new deal, like to – you know, to recoup the losses we would have to take versus the time if we just wait it out and, you know, take what we've got. And then I, I think there's a lot of really complicated and challenging processes that have to happen. Sometimes it feels like these places have all the money in the world 
but I don't know if it's quite that simple. And it may just not make economic sense for either of them to do that either. And and that's fine. Like you you made your bed, you sleep in it. But again, for us as fans, the more we can get of the current Big 12 plus the new Big 12 teams with no losses, the better it is going to be for the league. And I don't know if that's somebody in the Big 12 currently complicating this or what they're doing, but it will be the best thing for the league to have those two schools sure. in the league Absolutely. for as long as you yeah. can. Absolutely, because you've got the added revenue from advertisers uh, you know, to have these games. And, of course, all the eyeballs and the visibility and all of that when you've got you know, a, a football matchup uh, of the Red River rivalry still under the Big 12 banner for, right. a, for an extra year. And then you get into basketball and you've got, you know, Texas taking on Houston. And like there are other uh, storylines here that make it really intriguing. BYU, by the way, joining the Big 12, uh, that is a really, really, really difficult place to go in and play football. When you go and you play at BYU, that is a difficult place to play and a difficult place to win. And all of a sudden, and I, I know that they released the, the schedule for next year, and I, don't, I didn't look at what BYU's home schedule was, but you're going to have current Big 12 teams next season traveling to BYU, and it's going to be really hard for those Big 12 teams to win at that location. And so there are all of these intriguing storylines where you've got the new additions, and then if you, you end up keeping Texas and Oklahoma for an extra year, yeah, it's a super conference, and it's it might be temporary, and it's not going to be a permanent thing, uh, but it, it's going to be a lot of fun while it lasts. It is, and yeah, the Red River rivalry there is good, but also games that Texas and Oklahoma play in in general typically are going to get primo spots on all the networks, right? All, the, all that can get them, and so for all the other teams that play in those games, that's just one more chance for the whole nation to see it. I mean, look, K-State's brand is going to grow the more that they play in that. They're going to have really exciting players. Avery Johnson will be there eventually. K-State feels like it's going to contend for some big things next year, I'm sure. So it's just, it's a good thing. And for Texas and OU, like, obviously, you know, the world's tiniest violin. Nobody cares that you guys are having to wait, right? It's good for the league that you're having to leave. It's going to be uncomfortable and awkward probably a little bit, but so be it. You made the bed, you sleep in it, and the Big 12 gets stronger because of it. Go have fun in the SEC. And again, big picture, when they get to the SEC, the second that they do, Tommy, I'll find myself rooting for them. And and that's just I, I, that old allegiance, I suppose. Maybe it's a regional thing. Maybe it's just because I'm kind of sick of what's in the SEC right now. I'd love to see Texas go to the SEC and regain its national stature and, and be a great team again. Like, I think that'd be great. I root for a never rooted for A&M in my whole life, ever. But I root for them now, now that they're in the SEC. Kind of the same with Mizzou. I mean, I don't have the ties to Missouri or, or hatred or anything that people around here probably do. But like, I, I'd rather Mizzou do well in the SEC than, I don't know, certainly like Alabama or Ole Miss or, or, or Auburn or something. So it's fine. I think the same thing will happen long term. But in the short term, huh, you're stuck with us. Sort of like a really yeah. awkward breakup where you got to still live with the person you're breaking up with. <laughs> well, look, I, I think if you can strip the emotion away from it, uh, and which is hard to do, and look at it logically, yeah, this is a really good thing for the Big 12. Um, now, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, 
when the announcement came down that Texas and OU were leaving for the SEC, yeah, there was a lot of emotion behind it for me where I was like, get them the hell out of here. I don't want to, I don't want to see them anymore. They don't want to be here. Don't let the door hit you. Um, let's, let's find a way to get them out of here as quickly as possible because I was thinking of it from an emotional standpoint. Like if you don't want to play in the big 12, then we don't want you like get out of here now. And then of course, knowing that it was going to take a couple of years and, you know, even if they were able to leave early, it was still, it would still take a couple of years, but now you're adding on an additional year before they can leave. Uh, and you take the emotion out of it. Logically, it makes complete financial sense and it's a good thing for the Big 12 to have them stick around for a while longer because the the revenue that you can make by an extra year of Oklahoma and Texas in your conference before they they bounce. Absolutely, Brett Yormark and the Big 12 should try to make as much money off the backs of Texas and Oklahoma for as long as possible as they absolutely can. And the fact that they're stuck, it, you know, barring some kind of last minute negotiation where they're able to work it out and they're going to stick around uh, for the 2024 season. Yeah. If I'm the big 12, if I'm Brett, your mark, absolutely cash in and try to make as much money off of them as you possibly can. It'll be good. Um, I'm glad to see it. I thought we were only going to get it for a year. Now we might get it for two. Bring it on. Let's do it. That'll be fantastic. All right, 869-1240. We continue to roll ahead here on sports daily. We got a super bowl coming up. Uh, we've got some giveaways for you. We've got college basketball to preview over the weekend. Lots and lots still to come. Joe Mixon in the news for all the wrong reasons. We'll get to that as well. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Caster, Jad Chambers producing It's Sports Daily. TJIF, everybody. It's almost the weekend. Jacob Albrock, Tommy Caster with you here on Sports Daily. Glad to be back with you. Tommy, uh, let's set up our giveaway and then we'll get into this Joe Mixon news to round out the hour. Um, We've got a game uh, for the Wichita Thunder coming up this weekend, Tommy, and we have one final opportunity to get some people there on us. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun this weekend. The Rapid City Rush in Wichita taking on the Wichita Thunder games on Saturday night and Sunday afternoon. Uh, but we're going to give you tickets to the game on Saturday night, 705 Interest Bank Arena. Uh, the Thunder playing well this season. They're in second place in their division. Um, so it's it's a great fun. Uh, the new affiliation with the San Jose Sharks has been awesome. Uh, and so we've got four tickets for you for the game on Saturday night. So we'll give you those four tickets. We'll throw in a couple of free tea cards, free iced tea from HTO Wichita, open east and west. Uh, so you can get your hands on those four hockey tickets, two free tea cards. We'll do it to our second caller here for Jad, 869-1240. Tommy and I will uh, run out this segment, Tommy, with this news on Joe Mixon. So here's the story. Um, according to an warrant uh, obtained by WCPO, police say Mixon pointed a gun at a woman on January 21st and said, you should be popped in the face. I should shoot you. The police can't get me. It happened a day before the game against the Bills. Um, So the charge is, the arresting charge is aggravated menacing there in Ohio. 
Um, the club says, quote, we are aware misdemeanor charges have been raised against Joe Mixon. The club is investigating the situation, will not comment further at this time. Mixon's agent says, quote, it was a rush to judgment. I really feel that police have an obligation before they file charges because of damage that can be done to a person's reputation. To do their work, they should be held to a higher standard because I don't play with people's lives. That's all fine and dandy, Tommy, in normal situations. But the reality is, in 2014, we all saw Joe Mixon punch a woman. And that was while at Oklahoma. And so I I think sometimes you lose the benefit of the doubt. And it's self-inflicted. And I think Joe Mixon has lost the benefit of the doubt based on his past. So I don't have a lot of sympathy. And, And we'll let the legal process work out here as far as his playing status with the Bengals. That's fine. But don't come at me with sympathy for Joe Mixon's reputation because of a charge, because you don't get that luxury when you're seen on video punching a woman. On top of that, his agent is absolutely an idiot because he says a rush to judgment. This happened before the Bills game. So we're talking a couple of weeks ago. So there's no rush in judgment here. This is not something that, you know, we're talking 12 hours, 24 hours. We're talking two weeks after the alleged event happened. And if police just now file charges, then they must have, at least in their mind, probable cause that something like this happened to be able to file charges against Joe Mixon. So there's no rush of judgment here. And this is not something, I mean, the agent, I think he's trying to pull one over on everybody by saying they're going to drop the charges. It's a rush in judgment. And that's his job, right? He's the representative of Joe Mixon. I get that. But he's trying to pull a fast one here on people and say, oh, they're, they're rushing to judgment and nothing really happened. No, this this has been a couple week long investigation to the point to where they've issued a warrant for his arrest and they filed charges against him. So, you know, to me, that sure seems like there's at least something there that it's just not a nothing situation. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with you as far as his reputation. I agree with you as far as the benefit of the doubt. It's out the window. You don't get that. You don't get the benefit of the doubt right now after your history and after what happened several years ago with him. Uh, And, of course, the legal process will play out, but the the Bengals are going to have a difficult decision to make uh, depending on how this legal process plays out. Yeah, it, it, well, yeah, we have to see it. His mom said it's she made some sort of reference to money. And, um, like, again— I I do think it's hard because we do need to allow legal processes to play out to make sure, you know, just like any other citizen at any point. But as far as the benefit of the doubt, you lose that. So, like, you don't get to have the benefit of the doubt when you've done something in your past like Joe Mixon has done. You can't ask for sympathy for people rushing to judgment when you're being accused of doing something similar to what we've already seen you do, right? Like, you have to... You just have to sort of live with that when you punch women, I guess. I mean, his One of those agent, consequences, right? His agent said, and I quote, I, and you said it before, but I'll read it again. I really feel that police have an obligation before they file charges to do their work. What do you mean? They've done their work. They're doing their work. What do you mean? That's literally what like, that is. Yeah. Literally what they're doing. They're doing their work right. What are you talking about? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, and 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 that's that doesn't mean you're like because police arrest you and charge you with something. That's not the same as being charged in court. It's not the same as being convicted. It's a part of the process, and you know a lot of the time it's wrong, but it's still a part of the process. So that yeah, it is the work, and it's not everybody else's fault that people are rushing to a judgment on Joe Mixon, agent. 
It's Joe Mixon's fault that people are rushing to a judgment on Joe Mixon. Like, that's self-inflicted. So not going to catch a lot of sympathy. And I get it. He, he's trying to, to soften this blow and make sure that the Bengals don't cut his, his client here. And I, I'm not sure the Bengals would do that. I think it would be easier than some people think it would be. Um, I don't think it would be that hard for uh, – I don't think it would be that hard for the Bengals to cut Joe Mixon. I mean, he's a good player, but – it's not unprecedented. I mean, it, no. you know, Kansas, Kansas City cut Kareem Hunt. Uh, that was something that happened fairly swiftly after his situation being caught on camera, kicking the woman. He was gone. He was out of town. And on top of it, from a purely football perspective, I've said it before, I'll say it again, Samaje Ryan could start at running back for a lot of teams in the NFL right now. And yeah, so if they cut Joe Mixon, they get rid of him. Uh, they've got a built-in starting running back right now. Yeah, it's... I don't know where that situation goes. I just, like, miss me with the sympathy for the process playing out. You don't, you know, some places get that. Some people get that. Most people should get that. Joe Mixon's not one of them for me. Uh, all right, 869-1240 is the number to call. Let's start to look at the Super Bowl a little bit. And let's start to look at this weekend in college basketball. All coming up in our second hour here of Sports Daily. Congratulations to our giveaway winners. Tommy and I will be back right after this.